helping disciple makers ignite a movement locally and globally. This is the Disciple First Podcast. Now, here's your host, Craig Etheridge. Welcome back to the Disciple First Podcast. My name is Craig Etheridge. I'm your host, and this is a podcast by disciple makers and for disciple makers. And I'm here with my good friend, Robbie Gallaty. Robbie is a senior pastor at Long Hollow Baptist Church in Hendersonville, Tennessee, right outside of Nashville. In 2008, he founded Replicate Ministries to educate, equip, and empower believers to make disciples who make disciples. If you want to know more about that, you can go to replicateministries.org. He is also the author of Growing Up, How to Be a Disciple Who Makes Disciples and Firmly Planted. And Robbie also has a new book coming out as well. We want to welcome Robbie uh, to the podcast. Thank you, man, for being here and, and sharing this time with us today. Man, excited to be here. Appreciate what you guys are doing and uh, really excited to talk about discipleship. Yeah, absolutely. This is our favorite topic, isn't it, Robbie? Oh, man. <laughs> when we get together, man, we just can't, uh, can't stop talking about it. I remember when you and I first met, it was a little over a year ago, and we sat next to each other at a, a roundtable discussion. And as we started comparing notes, we're like, man, we're doing the exact same thing. And it was just kind of a neat moment to see... You know, we, we had never met, but we were doing the same thing. Amen. Yeah. Like long lost college buddies. That's right. That's exactly right. <laughs> and so we're going to talk a little bit. And uh, I know this podcast is going out to lots and lots of pastors and leaders. So uh, we, we want to involve everybody in the conversation here. But we want to talk about how to keep disciple making a priority. And, and uh, disciple making has to be a, a driving priority, but it's easy to get off kilter, off focus. And so first, let me just ask you, Robbie, why is disciple making your priority? Well, uh, me personally, uh, I'm the product of discipleship. You know, years ago, I uh, was radically saved and had the privilege of being discipled uh, by David Platt and then later a man named Tim LaFleur, who's on staff with me now. And uh, those two men invested in me. And I've often wondered, you know, what, you know, how different would my life be today? if I would have never have been discipled. Well, I wouldn't be on the phone with you right now and wouldn't be talking to you in person. That that wouldn't happen. Uh, But the better question, I think, is how different would our lives be if someone would have invested in us, right? And how different would our lives be if if people would have taken seriously the mandate to make disciples? Now, we can't change our past. And so I think the operative question is, how different would the lives of those around us be if we really got serious about making disciples. And I think if we do that in our churches, uh, we're going to begin to see a New Testament church. You know, thankfully, the disciples knew the importance of passing on and, and reproducing the ministry, because if not, 12 guys would still be in a room with their wives celebrating all they did and saw with Jesus, right? Aren't you glad of all the things we saw? And man, wasn't walking on water great? And somebody would say, hey, how many people have you invited to the group? Nobody. It's just us, right? It's us four and no more. And thank God those men knew that the ministry was not for them, only that that God had enlisted them to pass the baton on to others. And so I think for me, the reason I've been so passionate about discipleship is, is because I've been discipled. And here's what I learned years ago. Before a person can make disciples, they must first be a disciple. Right. Mm-hmm. And they have to first be cultivating a relationship with the Lord. The very word disciple is learner. It's, it's another word for student or an apprentice. And so 
I tell my staff, the day you stop learning is the day you stop leading. So, so, so a disciple is a learner and a learner is a leader. And so we're always learning and always leading. Well, that, with that point in mind, how do you keep disciple making a priority in your own personal life? Yeah, well, what I realized is long ago, discipleship cannot be a program. It can't be a program of my own life. It can't be reduced to a class. It can't be confined to curriculum. It can't be uh, it, it can't be a 40 day of purpose or a home group. And it could be partly that. But that's not what discipleship is. It's, it's way more than that. As you know, it's not a class we take. It's the course of our life. And so what I realize is discipleship is not a ministry in the church. Discipleship has to be the ministry of the church, right? Yeah. It, it, it has to be infused in everything we do. And so for me personally, I'll just tell you how I, I lead my own staff. I'm at, a, I'm at a new church. I've been at Long Hollow Baptist now for about four months, a little over four months and uh, I'm really trying to implant this DNA, this culture of discipleship. So how am I doing that? Here's what I'm doing. I can't expect from them something that I'm not emulating myself. And that's a great adage for pastors. Mm -hmm. We can't expect what we don't emulate. And so I can't say to them, hey, I want you guys to be consistent in the word of God. And I want you guys to be, and women to be men uh, who get in the word until the word gets into you through scripture memory and journaling. I, I can't say that if I'm not doing that, right? I can't say, hey, I want you guys to meet in these intentional groups for encouragement, accountability, and reproducibility. And yet I'm not doing that. And so the pastor, I think, needs to lead the way in this. And one of the ways I did that was I took our traditional business meeting. And every church has that three hour, two to three hour weekly business meeting. I did this at my former church. Uh, when I got there, we had the three hour business meeting. You know, Craig, you talk about numbers and and, and doors knocked on and, and, and people that showed up and invitations and everything else, budget numbers and all that's good. You need that. But I decided to, to cut that in half. And for the first hour and a half of our meeting, I turned it into a discipleship time. And I began to challenge them. I said, we're going to get into the word and we're going to live life together. We're going to go eat lunch together and we're going to memorize the word and read and study the word together. And I said, we're going to start memorizing the book of Second Timothy. Now, you should have seen their faces. <laughs> they, said, they said, Pastor, we're going to memorize what? And I said, we're going to memorize Second Timothy chapter one. What verse? I said, we're going to start with chapter one. We're going to do all of it. And then when we're done with chapter one, we'll do chapter two. And you should have seen, they were balking at it. They were pushing back. We, we don't, we never memorized scripture like this. And, and they kind of pushed back and I'll never forget this. When we hit chapter two, verse one, you, therefore, my child be strengthened in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who are able to teach others also. Sharing suffering is a good soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. It was like a light bulb went off. And guys who formerly, seemingly, were in love with the ministry of Jesus were now following in love with the Jesus of the ministry. Mm. And, and what we realized was, at times, we can get so caught up in ministry that we forget and lose our first love. And what I did was just by, by emulating that. Now I was doing it too. I wouldn't 
saying you caught it without me. We all were struggling with this. I came to Long Hollow and did the same thing. I said, you guys pick the book. Well, they went through Ephesians. They said, we want to do Ephesians. So I got about 20 something guys and girls in this room. And last week before I came, uh, came uh, and visited uh, you guys, I, um, I, I had the guys come in and, and basically what they do is they quote one to another at the table. And then one lucky contestant gets to stand up and quote the entire section to the group. Well, last week, two weeks ago, they uh, had finished chapter one. And uh, one guy got up. He was my music minister at Long Hollow. And he quoted all the way through chapter one. And when he got to the end, Craig, it's like he won the Super Bowl. They were <laughs> cheering and, and they were getting excited. And I'm looking around at this group of men and women, some of the best staff members in the country. And, and they're cheering. And I said when they finished and they're cheering around the word, which was awesome. But when they finished, I said, let me ask you a question. Now, keep in mind, this is the top shelf section of, of staff members in the country, some of the sharpest guys in the country. I said, how many of you, 22 verses is the longest amount of scripture you have memorized in a row? Almost every hand went up. Mm. And you and I both know when we get in the word, the word changes our hearts. The word changes our minds. And so you can imagine the environment uh, that, that, that God's building here now. Absolutely. It's transformational, really is. So how do you, Robbie, uh, you've you got a busy schedule. What does your schedule look like where you're able to find key times in there to make disciples? Well, let me tell you what I've realized about, about pastoring a church. I've realized that preaching alone can't make disciples. Uh, when I was in my, when I was getting my degree, uh, I was going to write my dissertation on preaching to make disciples. Seemed like a great topic. And my professor, uh, my, uh, my chairman at the time of my committee said, you probably need to pull some different disciple makers in the field and see if that's a, a viable topic before you invest a lot of time in it. And so I, I emailed the late, uh, great Avery Willis. And uh, I didn't know him, but I emailed him as a young seminary student. And I said, uh, Brother Avery, can I write on preaching to make disciples? And he wrote back, and I'll never forget his words. And here's what he said. He said, Robbie, I don't want to throw cold water on your dissertation topic, but preaching to make disciples is like going into the nursery and spraying the babies with milk and saying you fed the kids. Hmm. Wow. wow. <laughs> he, said, he said, you're going to get some nourishment, but not enough to live. He said, so preaching is part of the disciple making process. I've got, I've got multiple degrees in preaching. I mean, you, you're a man of the word, you preach the word, but yeah. we both know preaching alone will not create a disciple maker who makes disciples of all nations. So I was really challenged by that years ago. And I started to realize how much of my time am I spending investing in men? And, and early on in the ministry, I couldn't because I was pastoring a church and I was running a church and business meetings and members meetings. And I was preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night and, and Tuesday study and Sunday school. And I had to prepare messages for that. And so I didn't have time. And then I made a bold move uh, at, at the previous church I was at. And I said, you know what, on Wednesday night, I'm going to take a break from preaching the, the Wednesday night devotional time. And I got up on sun, on that day at the church in front of those folks. And I said, folks, Another sermon by me on another topic on a different day a week is not going to be the most effective way for you to grow. 
And it's not going to be the most effective way for me to spend my time. And so what I'm going to do is this. I have a young pastor uh, coming up who wants to preach, and he would love to preach to you. And so he's going to take my spot. And I'm going to go in my office on Wednesday night, and I'm going to invest in four guys. Now, that was a shot across the bow in a traditional Southern Baptist church yeah. that I was in. I mean, they're like, why would you give up preaching to 100 people on Wednesday? What are you doing, Pastor? And so I didn't say anything back then. I didn't say, you need to go get in discipleship groups just yet. I just did it. And, and keep in mind, I was emulating what I would one day expect from them. Mm-hmm. And so when people would come to church on, on Wednesday at, at Brainerd, they'd say, where's the pastor? And they'd say, well, he's in his office mentoring three guys, four guys, four guys. And that is what teed up a year or two later, me coming to them and saying, let me tell you what's happening in my group, and I want to encourage you to do the same. And remember, what you celebrate from the pulpit is what your people will implement in the pew, okay? So here's, here's one of the another things I learned. Culture is changed with language. If we want to change the culture of our church, we have to change our language, and we have to change what we celebrate. So I stopped getting up on Sunday celebrating the, the budget, you know, hey, let's give the Lord a hand. We hit the budget again this week, or let's give the Lord a hand. We had X amount of people in worship service. Well, that's great to do. And I've done that before. Here's the problem with that. Our people begin to think that that's the metric by which we gain success in the church. Mm-hmm. And here's how, here's how I found this out the hard way. I was there maybe two or three months every week. I was saying, and God was blessing, man, look how many people in church and look at the budget. We're hitting the budget every week. Well, one week we didn't hit the budget. And I never forget a senior saint sitting next to me on the front row. I'm about to go up and preach. And Craig, he leans over with the back of the bulletin in his hand. And he looks at me and he says, Pastor, we're going to have to work on this. And he points to the budget needs under the budget or the budget receipts under the budget needs. And he said, Pastor, look at this. And I looked at this man and it was like the whole church had fallen apart. Like he was gauging everything we did by that number. Now, here's the problem. It wasn't even his fault. It was my fault because I had programmed him to believe that that was success. And so I started changing the culture by celebrating biblical, effective markers. So I got up and I started saying, let me tell you about a couple guys in my discipleship group. You know what? There's nothing better than seeing an accountant struggle through the book of Second Timothy. And then I move on. I'd say, man, let me tell you about a marriage that's being restored because both the husband and wife were in discipleship groups, and then I would move on. And what I was beginning to do is to program them to gauge success by biblical values and not business metrics. Yeah, very good. And and I tell you what, just celebrating that from the pulpit is very, very powerful, isn't it? Why do you think it's so powerful? Well, because I think everybody can be involved in that. And I think that's where people are. You know, the thing about discipleship is anybody can do this. It's not like preaching. You know, some people say, well, I can't, I I don't have the gift to preach. And it's not even like teaching, you know, teaching a class. It's not even like singing. I can't sing. You know, I don't have a voice. But we all can make disciples. And the thing about discipleship you have to remember is it's a long process. So so we can't get ahead of God. You know, you can't microwave a disciple. It's not a microwavable dinner. It's a crockpot recipe. And it takes a little time. I get that. But over time, the results are worth the wait, right? When your Mm -hmm. wife puts a roast in the crockpot and you leave on Sunday morning for church, 
when you get back, it's been cooking and marinating all day. And when you walk in that house, that flavor, that aroma fills the house, right? And you realize it's worth the wait. Well, that's how discipleship works. It takes time to build as this process reproduces behind the scenes. But one of the things I know, and you know this in your church as well, once discipleship takes off, it becomes a fire. And the beautiful thing about a fire is this. You don't have to advertise a fire because it advertises itself. And you and I both know people will start to want what they don't have in the Christian life because they see it in other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why it's so good to celebrate those things because everybody wants that life change in their lives. Yeah, they do. They're, in fact, they're waiting for it. They're hoping for it, that a leader will show them how to walk with God and how to, how their life can really matter by investing in others. Um, Robbie, one, one thing that you mentioned at our Flashpoint conference, you're one of our speakers at Flashpoint. You did a lot of breakouts in the Dallas Flashpoint, and we're so excited to have you there. One of the things you mentioned was the KISS method. And I'm not, and I'm not talking about keep it simple, stupid. I'm talking about a different KISS <laughs> method. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and this is a real simple method to keeping things a priority, keeping disciple-making a priority in your church. So explain what that is. Yeah. Basically, what the KISS technique is, I've realized in order to make disciples uh, effectively, in order to make discipleship the ministry of the church and not a ministry in the church, we have to have synergy with every one of the things we do. And I realize everything we do in the church is either leading people on the pathway to being a disciple maker who makes disciples, or it's taking them away. It's, it's, it's straying them off the path from making disciples who make something. And, and it's a lot of good things. I mean, there's a lot of great things in the church mm-hmm. to do. And we know that. But the, they, they, they may not necessarily lead us to this disciple making pathway. So I took my staff on a retreat years ago. And it was the hardest retreat we'd ever been on. And I said to them, and this was the leadership team of of our church. Every ministry came under them. Every person reported to them. It was seven or eight guys at the time. And uh, we went to a whiteboard over two and a half days and we implemented the KISS technique. And here's what it is. We asked every ministry leader this question about every ministry in the church. If it helps us make disciples who make disciple makers, we K, keep it. But if it's one that we're doing and we haven't implemented it at a level to really energize people or we can do more to make it uh, or to fuel it, then we want to I, increase it. Like if this is a ministry that's under-resourced, let's increase it. Let's talk about it. Let's promote it. But if it's something in the church that we're not doing, like if we're not making disciples of preschoolers or children, then we want to S, start it. So you keep it, you increase it. If it's not going, you start it. But here's the hard one. This is where the rubber meets the road. If it's in the way of of leading people to be disciple makers who make disciples, then we stop it. And so I'll give you, for instance, uh, I mean, we evaluated everything. We evaluated our camps. We evaluated our disciple nows. We evaluate, which is funny because disciple nows today have been have done everything but disciple nows. Yeah, exactly. I think it actually should be called event now, right? Because it's an event, <laughs> and that's anyway. So uh, we evaluated youth choir. We evaluated adult choir. We evaluated student uh, mission trips. We evaluated everything, preaching uh, revivals. We 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 went through everything. And one of the ministries we found 
that was a good ministry. And hear what I'm saying. This is a good ministry. But for us, it was getting in the way of getting parents and students to be disciple makers who make disciples. It was Awanas. And uh, I, have to, I have to be careful saying this because I know people love Awanas and I love Awanas. Our kids love Awanas. Who, who doesn't love Awanas? You get to dress up in your cubby outfit. <laughs> yeah, right. You get a vest. You get patches. I mean, our kids love Awanas, right? We love that. But here's the problem. At our church, we realized that Awanas, it could be anything. It could be GAs, RAs, anything. Awanas was labor intensive. It took 67 volunteers to make Awanas work on Wednesday night. And we were trying to get our adults in as many disciple making groups as possible. And we had 67 adults in, in Awanas and, and many of them wanted to be in discipleship groups, but couldn't. So we found out, we asked ourselves the question, is there a way for us to accomplish the same thing with our children but free up adult leaders. And so we came up with a new system that was less intensive on laborers. And we dropped it from 67 to 20, freeing up 40 adults to be in discipleship groups. And we changed the program. We went from Awanas to a discipling model where parents in the homes disciple the kids and we teach them. Anyway, long, long conversation. But here's what happened. It was a hard, uh, it was a hard thing for some people. So much so that two weeks later, after saying publicly that we were moving from Awanas, a guy in our church brought me to lunch. And this guy was pretty irate. He brought me to lunch. He scheduled lunch immediately. I got to meet with you, Pastor. I went to lunch. And as soon as we walked in lunch, we sat down and he said, Robbie, I need to talk to you. Why would you get rid of the single greatest disciple-making ministry we have to children, Awanas? I said, Steve, it's evident you're pretty passionate about Awanas. He said, yes, I'm passionate. He said, I've been doing Awanas for years, and now my kids are finally in Awanas, and I can't wait to take them through Awanas. Why would you get rid of the greatest single disciple-making ministry in the church to children? And I said, Steve, I would agree it's a good discipleship ministry to children, but I wouldn't say it's the best one. And he said, what do you mean? I said, Steve, I think the best discipleship ministry to parents is getting a mom and dad in a D group so they will fall in love with Jesus. That's the best disciple-making ministry to children. When mom and dad love Jesus, why? Because when mom and dad love Jesus, they begin to speak to each other differently in the home. When mom and dad love Jesus, they begin to disciple their kids in the home and not farm it out to the church. When mom and dad love Jesus, they begin to live as Christ lived on the earth. I said, wouldn't you agree that's the best ministry? And I said, Steve, let me ask you a question. What discipleship group are you in? <laughs> he said, he said, I'm not in one. I'm in Sunday school, I'm a Sunday school teacher. I said, well, wouldn't you agree discipleship may be beneficial for you, but you just don't know about it? He said, I don't know about that. I said, Steve, try it for three months. At the time, growing up had just come out. I said, why don't you go through growing up just for three months, gr grab a group of guys out of your class and go through it for three months. And I said, you don't know if it works now because you hadn't tried it, but at least in three months you can come back and say, Robbie, I tried it. It didn't work, but now you don't know. So try it. When I left the church, Greg, uh, four months ago, Steve stood in line with the rest of the church family to tell me bye. And he was two and a half years into the discipleship process. He stood in line. He shook my hand. He looked me in the eyes and he said, Robbie, I just want to tell you, I am launching out my second generation of guys. Mm. He said, Robbie, discipleship has changed my life. Thank you. And it works. And so anyway, I think uh, the KISS technique is very helpful for churches. 
trying to figure out what is good ministry or good ministries in the church as opposed to what is a great ministry. Jim Collins used to say, uh, he said in his book, the enemy of, of great is good. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to do some great things for God. Yeah, yeah, so do I. And I tell you what, so do the pastors that are listening to this podcast. And Robbie's really given us some great handles on how to keep disciple making a priority and may want to implement the KISS method in your next uh, staff meeting. And folks, if you want to know more about uh, Robbie's ministry, go to replicateministries.org and also go to the flashpointconference.com. That's where you can hear. Uh, from Robbie. You can also hear from other great leaders like Robbie. They're making disciples and make disciples in the local church. We have several Flashpoint conferences coming up in Houston and in Atlanta, and you want to be a part of that. So go to the flashpointconference.com and we'll see you there. Now from this point on, go make disciples that make disciples. For more information on events and content, visit disciplefirst.com.